Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And woo, I'm going to go ahead and apologize if I am not at my best today because I just <laughs> finished watching today's movie and it is like it fired a poison dart straight into my prefrontal cortex. This movie is awesome. It's one of my favorites we've ever watched for this show, <laughs> but I feel like I have a significant I- impairment in my ability to speak. Yes, uh, Thrilling Bloody Sword will have that effect on you. Uh, You should not drive after viewing Thrilling Bloody Sword. You shouldn't (laughs) attempt any kind of complicated uh, paperwork scenario. Uh, you You just have to let it finish doing what it's doing to your brain. Yeah. If you watch this movie, you should schedule nap time for afterwards. <laughs> yeah, some recovery time is, is required. I, after I saw it the first time, I, I was rather proud of myself for thinking, like, this is the first time I've watched a movie that I would describe as face melting, which is usually, um, you know, how we might describe certain, uh, you know, metal tracks and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I, I started looking around online. I saw other people had the exact same reaction and described it with the exact same terminology. Uh, which oh, no. uh, which means I wasn't as original, but <laughs> this film is having the same impact on so many people. Like, there's just something about it that just uh, just utterly destroys and remakes you. It is so unusual and so strong and so fast. 
Well, it's like in a wuxia movie when the heroes first encounter the villain and like they are overwhelmed by their by the strength and speed of their martial arts. And it's like, how will we ever defeat them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this, this, it's, this, is, this is quite a film. 1981's Thrilling Bloody Sword. We've, we've covered a handful of Hong Kong films on Weird Al Cinema before, but this is going to be our first taste of Taiwanese cinema, which is closely linked to Hong Kong cinema and often features a lot of Hong Kong cinema connections, actors, and so forth. But it has a vibe all its own, Taiwanese cinema. Um, I, I checked out some of the, the special features on the Thrilling Bloody Sword disc, including some uh, material from uh, Justin DeClue of Golden Ninja Video, talking a bit about the, uh, the, the connection between Hong Kong cinema and Taiwanese cinema. And the way he describes it is that Hong Kong had already really established itself, and Taiwanese cinema is kind of uh, trying to catch up to a certain extent and also trying to up the ante on things like mm-hmm. action sequences and various films, also like creative uh, decisions and I think this film would suggest creative weirdness. Like, what is something different we can do uh, that we can try and uh, try and create a film that just has not been seen before? That's absolutely what this is. I would say that this movie is less rooted in pre-existing genres like action or horror than we would see in in at least the Hong Kong movies we've watched so far. This is this creates a new genre almost to I guess the closest you could call it is maybe fantasy action but with some mm-hmm. elements of science fiction in there. Yeah, and it also seems to draw heavily on from a, as we'll discuss a few different myth and folkloric cycles. I think mm-hmm. there are some connections to be made to the fantasy films of Russian filmmaker Alexander Rue, uh, mm, especially yeah. when it gets down to bear transformation. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this film stands apart uh, and, and gloriously so. Actually, I think that comparison is incredibly apt. This is kind of like if you took Morosco or, or Jack Frost mm-hmm. and then added in a bunch of uh, martial arts action scenes. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely the vibe. So the title, Thrilling Bloody Sword, I do have to say, thrilling, yes. Sword, yes. Not so much bloody. There's not really any blood in this, per se. Um, uh, probably the grossest, goriest things in it are right at the beginning and right at the end. At the beginning, with uh, a lady gives birth to like an alien meat pill, and then mm-hmm. at the end, there's a bunch of disembodied, gory, like flayed arms and legs that are flying around attacking somebody. Yeah. The original title here is uh, Shinjan Dong Shan Hu, which I believe translates to something like The Divine Sword Moves Mountains and Rivers. But I've also Mm. seen this film just referred to as The Thrilling Sword or Heavenly Sword. Uh, But yeah, uh, still Thrilling Bloody Sword is a title that uh, is distinctive and it's a movie that's distinctive. So I I think ultimately it works. Now, I'm wondering, I'm sort of second-guessing myself and wondering if I oversold it and saying this movie is a genre all to itself, because I guess uh, you have a note on this, and having read several other people on the internet talk about it, I, I think some people think that this fits into the category of wuxia films, right? Like this sort of historical, chivalry-based martial arts movies. Yeah, I mean, and roughly so. You could, you could, it would not be improper to put it on shelf with other wushu movies. 
but I think most commentators seem to indicate that this this it, it distinguishes itself a bit more. Like drawing in, for instance, all of these various fairy tale and mythic elements uh, from various uh, non-Asian cultures. Like there is a, essentially a multi-headed dragon at one point, and it's a very Western-looking dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, a hydra, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there are things like that that, that contribute to it. Uh, I've also, I think it was um, uh, DeClue that pointed out that also the action in this film isn't as fluid as you might expect from like pure action films of the the time period, but it's still very thrilling action. Uh, it's it's yeah. still it's still amazing to behold. But I can I can sort of see what he's getting at there about the uh, about, about the, the, the about the martial arts in the film. It's not a pure martial arts spectacle. Yeah, well, a lot of the martial arts are. Uh, I mean, there are a couple of just straightforward fight scenes, but most of the fighting in it is in some way sort of uh, thwarted or complicated by the presence of sorcery, which involves a very funny and great special effects. Yes, the the special effects are... This is a film that is very ambitious in, in its use of special effects. At times, perhaps too ambitious, but no, like the ambition no, shines through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I mean, it's um, it's my favorite kind. It's like special effects that it's not like they look quote convincing or quote realistic, but the, these special effects are full of soul. They are my mm-hmm. favorite kind of effects in a movie. Uh, and uh, the other thing I, I didn't want to let pass by though is that. I'd say roughly a third of this movie is a version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh gosh, yes, yes, it is. It's a story full of of cursed dwarf generals, evil sorcerers, uh, monster attacks, jinn, heavenly swords, miraculous birth by comet. Uh, there's so many elements, and I'm not even touching on all of the crazy things that occur in this film. Now, you mentioned that the movie is not as bloody as the title would suggest. Did did you let your son watch this one? I didn't know. It, like, I didn't watch it with, like, a parent's point of view. But is this movie okay for kids or not? Uh, I, it's hard to, hard to say. I mean, all parents will have to make that decision for themselves. But yeah. content-wise, I, I didn't think it was that bad. I, I tried to, I showed him a little bit of it. And mm-hmm. it was the um, it was one of the comedic sequences <laughs> with the dwarves, and then I, I skipped ahead a bit to show him some of the action, and uh, mostly he's really into most, mostly just commenting on special effects at this point, uh, whether mm-hmm. he thinks something is real or not, um, and and of course he was he was quick to say, well that doesn't look like a real monster, but he did like he did like the monsters designs that we encounter. Ah, uh, well that phase will pass. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for the most part, this this feels like a feature that was aimed at the entire family. Um, that, that's the sense I get from it. This is, this is a, a family film, an action fantasy film, cobbling together multiple fairy tale traditions into just a single face-melting fantasy adventure. I don't know if it was intended to be just so... Uh, in, in, I mean, it is just an intense spectacle, and I guess that appeals to all ages. Okay, maybe we should hear some trailer audio. Let's do it.
right. Now, a note on availability before we uh, proceed here. Uh, this may be one of the harder films to get your hands on that we've watched. There are some unofficial rips out there, uh, and, and I think a, a number of these are, are in terrible quality in part because they may be just ripped off of television. But Golden Ninja Video did a beautiful restoration of the only known 35mm footage, and it's uh, all in this wonderful Blu-ray. As of this recording, I believe they're out of stock, and it's unsure on when they'll restock, but you can pre-order a two-pack that features Thrilling uh, Bloody Sword plus Revengeful Swordswoman. Um, Otherwise, if you're Atlanta-based, you can rent it at Videodrome like we did. Um, And it is actually played at a few cinemas here and there, so you might be able to catch it on the big screen if you're lucky. I will say again, my my personal opinion, personal recommendation. This one is worth seeking out. Like if you hear it's playing at some at some uh, cinema nearby, it's worth making the trip. Yeah, this is a film that you can you can sit down and watch and intently study. But it also is just a colorful, beautiful film. Like if you just want something interesting to have playing in the background somewhere, uh, I think this is your movie. Okay, Rob, from what wizard's mind was birthed the monster that is Thrilling Bloody Sword? This is the work of director-writer Sin Yi Chang, who was born 1944, and his main contribution to martial arts cinema was as a writer, with screenplay credits on a bunch of films, including Black Belt Angels, uh, 1983's Shaolin vs. Lama. This is the film with the Buddha finger. Uh, in mm. it, for those of you familiar with that or that sample, there's a there's a wonderful track from the um, uh, from, from the from the artist Death Charge that used a lot of samples from this film, and that was I think that was actually pre Wu Tang, uh, but uh, he he also wrote on 1983's The Challenge of the Ninja, 1976's The Eighteen Bronze Men. This is where like Shaolin. Uh, warriors battle these men who are painted bronze and sometimes have big bronze heads. Uh, Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it, but the trailer looks uh, fantastic. Now, as a director, uh, he only has 10 credits uh, listed, which include 1978's Snake in the Eagle Shadow 2 and 1979's Kung Fu Commandos. Uh, None of the other films, however, apparently match the tone and vision of Thrilling Bloody Sword. But as um, as Justin DeClue explains, uh, he has he was apparently really admired for his ability to plot out martial arts action. So like this this apparently when you get down to like screenplay questions regarding many of these martial arts films, there's a lot of leeway into like how how much are they describing, and mm-hmm. um, and and apparently uh, this is a guy who w- was very into plotting out you know the, the action. Uh, so he was he was sought after for this. I'm going to say that in its favor. Um, I believe I've said this on the show before, but I, you know, I'm, I'm critical of a lot of action scenes in movies because I think there is action choreography out there that doesn't quite understand that action has to be a drama, right? It needs to have Mm -hmm. beats. It needs to have moments of interchanging power. There need to be changes throughout it. Like you've got to keep it interesting. It can't just be, uh, you know, essentially trading blows back and forth in a sort of uh, static ongoing exchange. Uh, and this movie gets that the action scenes in this movie have beats, they have drama, they have changes. It, it's really good stuff. Yeah. And, but, but like you said, it's not a pure martial arts film in that a lot of it is the magic and, but the magic has that kind of internal, well choreographed uh, fight scene, um, logic to it where like Mm -hmm. if a new weapon is introduced uh it means something if a particular magic spell is being invoked you know it's uh it's very much a part of the plotting of uh, of what's going on 
I will also say that, uh, especially for a lot of the earlier action scenes in the movie, I respect the restraint of how short they are, like that they don't mm-hmm. go on forever just to eat up screen time. Uh, yeah. There's one really awesome action scene earlier in the movie where a couple of sorcerers kill a demon, and it just takes a few seconds, but it's an awesome scene. Yeah. Now, as I continue here through some of the connections here, I want to stress that this one was a little harder to put together the connections on the IMDb page for this movie does not include uh, character names. And mm. the Hong Kong uh, movie database was a, was a little more helpful, but it doesn't have the character names for a number of the actors in it. So some of these I had to look at, at photographs of the actors on the Hong Kong movie database and sort of piece it together. And mm. uh, I, I believe I got everything right. Uh, but there, there's also some differences on how, how the names are reproduced in, um, in, in English on the two websites. So you'll just have to bear with me, but I think we got it mostly right here. Either way, I admire the attempt. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a co-writer listed on this, Dates Unknown, and this is their only credit on, on both databases, but there's a John Lung Ching or, or Cheng Sing who is credited as being co-writer. But let's get into the cast here. So we have the princess, is it Yarji? It sounded to me like, like uh, so they spelled it in the subtitles Y-A-U-R-G, but it sounded to me more like Yao Ji. Yao Ji. All right. Well, the princess yeah. Yao Ji, who we may I may refer to as just the princess, uh, okay. played by uh, an actor that I don't have dates for either. And this is uh, Fang Fang Fong. Uh, she was active from 1978 through 1986 and seems to have come back for a role in 2019's The Shooting of 319. In this film, she's very much in traditional princess mode, but she does it well. Uh, I also noticed she was in a 1985 film titled Ghost Bustin', which I oh. assume to be a supernatural comedy. I included the poster for you here, Joe. It looks, uh, it, it looks impressive. Why does it have Sherlock Holmes on the cover? I believe this is a Ghost Bustin' a professor character in the film, based on what I was, okay. uh, was reading about it. He's dressed like Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Bustin' makes me feel good. I want to see this. <laughs> All right. Now, if you have a princess, you have to have a prince, and that is the prince Yarjun, played by Lu Shangqin, who was born in 1953, Taiwanese action star who was in a bunch of wuxia and fantasy movies. He played the Monkey King in 1982's New Pilgrims to the West, and also played the Monkey King again in its sequel, Monkey War. He also appeared in 1990's The Twelve Animals. Man, is he dashing in this. <laughs> yes, he has all the handsome... And, uh, and is very action-oriented, a, t- a terrific prince that you really want in there handling your thrilling bloody sword. Uh, yeah, so he's great. I would say, actually, the whole cast in this movie is great. I, I didn't mm-hmm. notice a single performance I didn't like, but... For me, the standout performers are the two villains, our two sorcerers. I loved them. Yes, I think we have a, a new um, occult power couple here. Uh, they are the, the 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 evil sorcerers. Also, they're described as exorcists. Uh, yeah. It is Shakur and Ji'ur. And uh, let's start with um, the sorcerer here, Shakur, uh, played by Cheng Yi, born 1945. Yeah, makes an incredible villain here. He's stern, has kind of a Christopher Lee esque face, big mm-hmm. bushy eyebrows, long hair. Yeah, uh, again, very stern, but also wonderful sorcerer robes. He has a cool demon staff. He was just consistently one of my favorite parts of the film. 
Uh, just, yeah, just just wonderful performance here. Active from the mid-60s through the mid-90s in a ton of martial arts films, as well as some TV shows. Uh, born in mainland China, he worked in a bunch of Shaw Brothers films, and I believe is now, I was reading online that he's retired and living somewhere in the Vancouver area. Mm-hmm. But uh, he seemed to have a pretty strong run. He appeared in uh, The 18 Bronze Men alongside Carter Wong in 76, Carter Wong, uh, some view uh, uh, listeners may, be, uh, may remember him from Big Trouble in Little China. He plays Thunder, uh, the, mm. the larger of the three storms. Another the muscle guy. Yeah, the big muscle guy that explodes. Yeah. Um, Cheng Yi was also in the 1967 Shaw Brothers film King Cat, in which he plays the lead. And he was a director on 1973's Chinese Dragon, in which he was also the lead. Chang Yi is just great in this. He is cool as a cucumber. You could imagine a different version of this character that was very kind of, mm-hmm, well, you know, kind of mustache mm-hmm. twirling and and uh, and whiny. Uh, but no, they they make him suave and cool. And uh, he, he like when he's making demands on the king. I don't I don't ever recall him getting uh, visibly upset. It's like he knows he's in command because he has the powers of darkness in his hands. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is a good description. And, you know, he's not doing it alone. Again, this is an occult power couple. We have uh, an excellent sorceress and exorcist uh, standing beside him, uh, Guy Er, played by Elsa Yang Hushan, born in either 52 or 53, depending on uh, which database you're looking at. She was active from 76 through 86. Yeah, and she's great in this as well, just vamping it up with high fashion choices and terrific black magic. Uh, yeah, she just she she also anytime she's on the screen, I'm just completely entertained. The scene where she first showed up, I feel like I I was already loving the movie, but my brain was just like snapped to attention uh, because it it just immediately like heightens the like the weirdness and drama uh, because she shows up in the middle of a of a court palace and um, she's like, "Hi, I'm here to kill your I'm here to solve your demon problem." And the king's like, "Oh, great!" And one of his advisors is like, uh, "I I don't know if we should trust a sorceress <laughs> to handle the demon problem. What if we get a nice honest swordsman instead and she just like points her hand at the guy and makes his head spin around three times (laughs) yeah it's amazing (laughs) yeah yeah she just immediately owns the room through black magic uh so uh, the the actor here elsa yang who sean other notable roles include the lead in 1983's the challenge of the lady ninja and another notable one uh, that I'm guessing hasn't traveled as well as a lot of this action fair, but there was a 1985 drama titled uh, Kume, A Woman, in which she also starred. She also played Princess Iron Fan in that 1982 uh, Monkey King movie, New Pilgrims to the West. As I said earlier, I love the actors playing both of the sorcerers. Uh, she she is a perfect match for, for Chang Yi here, and she is just great. Her screen presence is off the charts. So many costume changes, too. Like, you never know yeah. when she's going to show up in an entirely new ensemble. Like, one second, it's, it's, it's all crimson and gold. The next section, she's, she's the next scene, she's going to be outfitted like an Egyptian queen. Uh, mm-hmm. You never know what you're going to get, but it's going to be fabulous. All right, we mentioned the king. Uh, the king, uh, who's just completely uh, bowled over by these two, uh, <laughs> is played by Chin Han, born 1938, Hong Kong actor who also wrote and directed a couple of features. Um, His Majesty here is a, a fun screen presence in this, but again, he's he's kind of constantly overwhelmed by either uh, emotional revelations or black magic. 
Yeah, I would say he's sort of on the receiving end of everything crazy that happens in this movie. He's always just there to react like, oh, no. (laughs) But he's great in that role. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting. Uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, 
feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. We also have a fairy in this. We didn't even mention the fairy. The little fairy in the forest. And um, this is played by Xia Ling Ling. Uh, essentially is like a Tinkerbell-esque uh, spirit character. And mm-hmm. so it, the character is just played to bubbly excess. <laughs> it's like a, like a, like, like very, very Tinkerbell, just like constant siren going off in your head. Um, so Ling She's kind of like, kind of like Navi in Ocarina of Time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Ling Ling was a Taiwanese actor whose credits include uh, 1978's Snake in the Equal Shadow 2, 1984's The Vampire Dominator, which I've read is a non-vampire film about ghosts on the run from Taoist Exorcist. So that oh. one sounds kind of fun. But uh, yeah, born 1953. I feel like her character is almost a little bit in- intentionally annoying, but she, yes. she's great with it. Um, but but she's sort of like part of an ensemble of the the well-meaning dwellers of the forest who are set opposite the uh, the evil sorcerers of the palace. Yes, <laughs> and she's she's very helpful. She's more helpful than than many fairy characters in in various fantasies. She has so many solutions that she'll bust out. Uh, yeah, tremendous. Oh yeah, well, I mean, our hero could not succeed without her because when uh, when the prince is doing battle with many enemies, it is only through her insights that he is able to succeed. Such as like she realizes, oh, you've got to stab this uh, this robot in the butt. <laughs> now, as we mentioned, there's there are seven dwarves, uh, dwarves slash cursed generals in this movie, and I, I I don't know what their names are. It was very difficult to figure out who is who here. Uh, because they're all just, I think on the Hong Kong movie database, they're just listed as dwarves, uh, like dwarf, mm-hmm. dwarf, dwarf. Uh, uh, I know that one of them, this is the, I guess we might describe as Farty, uh, the dwarf, is played by Pu Lao Su, who lived 1951 through 1985, who is a Taiwanese actor who seems to have had a lot of comedic roles um, in, in, a very, in a short life and short career. And, and he also directed a comedy in 81 titled The Taxi Driver. But this is—I get the, the 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 sense from these this bunch of actors playing the dwarves that they're all comedic actors, and mm-hmm. th- these are all very over the top slapsticky performances. This is not dry humor, folks. No. <laughs> now we mentioned the the martial arts connections here. The martial arts director on this was Cheng Xing, who lived 1951 through 1991. It was a member of the Shaw Brothers Venom Mob who did a lot of stunt work and choreography in such films as 1978's Five Deadly Venoms, um, which uh, established the Venom Mob as one of the go-to crews for martial arts action during this time period, uh, though he was not an on-screen Venom in that film, if I remember correctly. And then, who finally, the music. The music on this movie uh, comes to us from uh, Mao Shan Huang, 
who was born in 1940, has something like 373 composer credits on IMDb, active from 1968 through 1999. Credits also include films like Challenge of the Lady Ninja and Lantern Festival Adventure. I loved the music in this because it it was extremely varied. So some of it was... Uh, I don't know what the word for this genre is, but it was something I recognized kind of, um, you know, action movie music with like drums and bass, but then with a synthesizer leads and, and had a kind of, uh, fantasy flair about it. But then there was also just straight up funk. Yes. Uh, when we're first introduced to the dwarves, we get this funky bass that sounds a, a heck of a lot like David Bowie's uh, track Fame. Like it sounds like Fame's mm-hmm. going to start up at any second, but it doesn't. There was one part where there was a bass line that made me think it was going to go, hey, kids, rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's another scene where there are real tiki vibes to the the score. Uh-huh. Um, other times it's just glistening psychedelic synth work that really works well with the film's uh, sorcery. And then there there's one part part two. I don't know if you caught this. It's later in the film, but the tune the, the score gets dangerously close to Star Spangled Banner, like way closer to Star Spangled Banner than you would encounter in an American film. Um, it doesn't it doesn't completely commit. <laughs> but it all, it's almost Star-Spangled Banner, and it's a very shocking moment. Wow, I did not catch that, but now I want to go back and watch it all over again just to, just to find that part. It, had, there's like, it, has, it has the very sweet music that plays when something emotional is happening. There's also a little romantic saxophone thrown in there. Um, so like you say, it's all over the place, but it's, it's never boring. It's, it's always great. All right. Well, I guess if we're going to talk about some things from the plot, I have to say I was enthralled with this movie before the action even began because the credits alone are just within seconds doing a symphony of violent eccentricity throughout your brain. Uh, you know, while the credits are rolling, you see a gold sword made of pure energy emitting bolts of lightning through like a field of stars. And then you see a bunch of things in photo negative, like so photo negative figures in battle, including a hero in like a mini tentacled headdress with armor befitting a God. Uh, and then a hero who's doing battle with a pair of disembodied feathery big bird arms. That's what it looks like originally. I think you get mm-hmm. a different idea later that they might be a little gooier. Um, you see a, a flying ghost covered in ropes. You see a rapidly multiplying vision of a horned demon with a gaping mouth that's got all these teeth in it, and like mm-hmm. a wizard smashing what look like clay pots with a staff. You see a giant with a bash club doing a you know a very righteous embashing of the camera lens, and then a human shaped creature zooming around like a flying squirrel, all still in photo negative. And then there's one part where what it looked like at first to me was a metal eyeball nipple shooting lasers into the blade of a dagger. Uh, You see a giant pair of teeth, like those wind-up chatter teeth, flying through the air, chomping at the hero. And then you see the hero stabbing a giant in the butt with his sword. And the meaning of all of these images will be revealed in the film. Fortunately, these these are are, uh, images from the movie that we are about to view. It's a clip show of the movie to come, and they had the good sense to say, what's all the weirdest stuff in the movie? Let's put that in the credits. <laughs> but it, it makes you question why, because it, yeah. it's not like they needed 
to, to get the weird out and, and feel like, well, there's going to be a break. It's not going to be weird for a while. No, it's almost immediately weird. <laughs> I can't imagine a scenario where they're like, I don't know if people are going to stay in the theater. They might try and leave uh, if the first thing we show them is just a comet coming out of the cosmos to impregnate a woman. Let's address that. Okay, so the first thing that happens when the plot actually begins is you see space and you hear what sounds like a heartbeat echoing through the primordial chaos waters. You know, it's like an underwater kind of sound. And then we see a fiery meteor shooting through space. Then a king and a queen in a royal palace, and the king is pacing back and forth in his throne room while all of his advisors are gathered. He's obviously concerned. And the queen is about to give birth. And at this point, I need to to drive home that this this film is not dubbed in English. Uh, it no. has subtitles, but the subtitles are, are burnt in, so they're they're just a part of the footage, and they're in both uh, Mandarin and English, and they're very rough subtitles. At, uh, the, 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 at times, they're, they're kind of confusing in the way they're written. Also, they're white, and sometimes they're set against white backgrounds, so sometimes you just cannot read uh, what the line of dialogue is, even in rough translation. Yes, these subtitles feel rushed. I mean, it's an, it's definitely enough to figure out what's going on in the movie, but sometimes the actual phrasing is quite funny. Right, like it's, you're on the verge of baby delivery, queen. That's the, <laughs> the line of dialogue. Or when they're talking, people, various people keep talking to the king and they address him as uh, his majesty, as, in, as, as if to say, we think we have found your daughter, his majesty. And it, <laughs> yeah. this, it, it, it's kind of uh, unrelenting like everything else in the movie, and it can definitely impact the language center of your brain by the end of it. Yes. Uh, so the palace starts shaking violently. Uh, there's the, the approach of the burning meteor. And then the meteor suddenly flies into the palace and then flies at the queen and is seemingly absorbed into her body. And then she immediately projectile gives birth to what looks like a giant pill capsule made of alien meat. Yeah, and at this point, you might wonder, well, are we in a Cronenberg film now? Like, this is what, what did I sign up for? Uh, luckily, this is about as, as gross as it gets. Yeah, this is the, I don't know why they front loaded it with that, but that's the first <laughs> thing is the alien meat pill. Yeah. And then the king comes in and he sees it and he's like, oh, gross. <laughs> and he, he instantly <laughs> concludes that it is a devil. But an advisor says to him, uh, this is a quote from the subtitles, no, he is your son anyway. <laughs> Uh, and the servants at the palace, what they end up doing is, the, I, I guess at the king's orders, they take the alien meat pill and they put it in a basket and set it in a river where it is carried away by the current. And I was like, wait a minute, this is the story of Moses and mm -hmm. also sort of of Perseus and Danae. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I say, this film casts a wide net for its folkloric and mythic influences. And it's very apparent by, by what happens next. Oh, that's right. So it goes on down the river and then we get a title that says the seven dwarfs of the happy forest. And wow. Okay. So the seven dwarfs here, uh, just like snow white, the seven dwarfs live in a forest in a hut, uh, with a painted backdrop of like mountains and multicolored clouds. Mm -hmm. And Oh boy, I, I know I've probably babbled about this before, but this is one of my all time favorite things. I love a constructed indoor forest set. Like, uh, you know, overall, the movie isn't as great as you'd want it to be, but it's one of the best things about Legend, Ridley Scott's Legend, is the mm -hmm. built forest sets in that studio, uh, or I think of Dagobah or whatever. I, I don't know why, but I just love a built forest. Uh, so 
By the way, please write in with your favorite constructed indoor forest sets and movies. I seek them out, so send them my way. And, and yeah, they're creating this, um, the, you know, this rural habitat, this this little farm where all the dwarves live. And they, and since it is a farm, there is of course a rooster, a, an obvious puppet screeching in Mandarin. It's fabulous. The rooster is horrifying. It just <laughs> it constantly cuts to it. And it's like, I guess it's a puppet. For some reason, I was thinking of it as a robot. That it's like a <laughs> robot rooster that is just screeching and screeching. Mm-hmm. It barely resembles it. Like, I, I'm not even sure now thinking back. Is it a chicken? Is it a, a female chicken? Is it a rooster? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's at least a bird. Uh, and it's a great puppet. It's not, it's not like a bad puppet. But yeah, it's, it's just as logical to think of it as a robot <laughs> versus an animal. Yeah. So when we first meet the seven dwarfs, they are marching and counting the numbers one to seven. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, the soundtrack changes to funk bass and saxophone. (laughs) And we see the robot rooster squawking. And one of the dwarfs with a fancy mustache is dressed sort of like Robin Hood. And he's shooting arrows in the sky. And then one of them comes back down having skewered a fish. And he looks at (laughs) it and goes, strange. (laughs) Uh, so I was trying to think. The, the, this movie never does a thing where it like names all of the the seven dwarfs and like introduces them individually. You just kind of have to get a sense of them while it's rolling. So there's like the goofy Robin Hood, who's the bow and arrow guy. But I was also mm-hmm. thinking of him as handsome dwarf because he's I don't know he's got a fancy mustache. But then there is the vain one who is interested in his hair. And then there's the guy who drinks a lot and has a big bald spot and spits. And then there is the sleepy one. And then there is the one who farts. There's like, I guess he's, he's farty friend. And like it, the rooster literally has a line, like the farty dwarf farts. (laughs) And then the rooster says, it smells bad. (laughs) And then I think there are a couple of others and I don't know what their deal was. One, oh, one guy has a necklace with like uh, bagels or dumplings or something on it. Oh, yeah. He also has a mohawk, mohawk right? Yeah. He has the, the, the cool hairstyle. And he actually has more line. He's one of the more active uh, fathers uh, of the yeah. seven fathers here. Um, the, uh, we'll get the to the fatherhood part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's also a guy with a tall hat. Um, mm. But I don't remember what he did as much. You got to have seven of them. They can't all have starring roles, I guess. So the film seems to focus mostly on on Farty, um, Mohawk, and also uh, yeah, Robin Hood. Yeah, and Baldy, also the bald one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we a couple of them are off in the river, and they discover the alien space baby pill in the basket. Uh, they like pick it up, and they say, "Hey, we picked up a big flesh ball." That's from the subtitles, mm-hmm. and they uh, they discuss what to do with it. They, they're they like, oh, you know, how should we deal with this? And they say, one of them says, let's cook it. And another says, let's pickle it. But they eventually end up like stabbing it with a knife. And then it steam pours out of it. And then they realize, oh, wow, it is no longer an alien pill made of meat. Now it's just a baby. It's just a regular human baby. And they're like, "Oh wow! Uh, now, now we're all going to be it's uh, now we're all going to be fathers." And they debate <laughs> what to name it. They they briefly consider the name Demoness, but then they settle <laughs> on Yao Ji. Yep. And then we get seventeen years later. And by the way, uh, 
a thing that you must keep in mind while we're discussing all of this is that everything in this movie happens fast and mm-hmm. the cuts are very sudden and the changes in the action are very sudden. The, this movie does not do, I mean, occasionally it does, but most of the time does not do a lot of like establishing new shots and locations. It's just one thing straight into the next. Yeah. Yeah. And so instantly 17 years go by and this is where we get a monster attack, a fabulous Cyclops monster. That's right. So it shows us, I think it's supposed to be an inn, or like an inn and a tavern, mm-hmm. and a Cyclops monster just attacks it. It's like a monster with horns, and it's got one eye, and then it's got kissy lips. Yep, yep. Yeah, it has kind of a turtle vibe to it. Uh, uh-huh. it's, 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 it's a nice effect. I like this costume a lot. Uh, it starts rampaging immediately. There's a great scene where there's this drunk man kind of uh, stumbling through the inn, and he looks over, and there's a paper screen, um, um, and behind it, we see the silhouette of the monster. And for a second, the silhouette, I guess, kind of looks like a woman. And so the drunk man's like, oh, I'm going to go check this out. And he pokes a hole through the screen to, to peek, <laughs> and then the monster uh-huh. like reaches through and grabs him. It's wonderful. Just eats him, I think. I don't. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell what the monster is doing with people. I think it's eating people. Uh, and we see, okay, can anyone stop this rampaging Cyclops? A couple of tough guys with weapons leap up. One has an axe, one has a sword. Uh, but no, the monster instantly dispatches them. So uh, I guess that just establishes that somewhere, we I don't think it has told us where this is, but somewhere there is an inn with a monster problem. Right. And it's ongoing. Yeah, ongoing. Let's go back to the to the forest. <laughs> Just yeah. suddenly, uh, we go back, and now the the alien meat pill has become uh, has grown up, and she's become a princess. And now that she is is grown up, she lives in the forest, and she interacts uh, with like magic stuff, like a magic altar. Mm-hmm. Yep, the magic altar becomes important later. I didn't understand what was going on with the magic altar at first. I think it's described at first that the altar keeps the devil away. It keeps the devil okay. from capturing the, the, the dwarves. Uh, and essentially, that's it. It's, apparent, it's apparently a ward to keep certain evil forces away that have mm-hmm. a role in the dwarfdom of these seven individuals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she is down by the river's edge when suddenly she meets a handsome prince with sideburns. And I got to say, the com- when we first meet him, the combination of the sideburns and the fact that he's wearing like a white suit with these wide lapels with inlaid designs made me think Elvis. I also found it funny that in a movie so full of magic, the, the princess's first major threat here is she, she almost falls in the water and he's here to save her. So it's yeah. not, not, not like a monster attacks in this scene or anything, but he's here, he's handsome, she's immediately smitten. Yeah, absolutely instant falling in love. Uh, so she, they introduce themselves. She is Yao Ji, and he is Yur Jun of the Yur Chin Kingdom. And uh, I think he's he's on his way to the palace of the nearby king so that he can pay his respects for the king's birthday. Mm-hmm. And so they walk back to the, the Seven Dwarfs hut, and immediately the robot chicken is just mad screeching, unleashed. Um, and, uh, the, the, the seven dads here are initially quite skeptical of the prince when they see him, but then Yao Ji explains that, well, he's royalty and he saved her life and they soften up real quick. They come around yeah. <laughs> to the, to the new boyfriend, but of course the prince can't stay. He's, he's on a Royal journey. He has to be on his way to the palace. And so he leaves and, oh no, the princess is, oh, she's pining for him. And the farting dad says her daughter is sick with love. 
Oh, yeah, it's, it's sad. I think we, we get some of that sweet music playing here. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. The 
So next we cut back to the palace and the king, and here we begin a sequence that is just bananas. This is what I was talking about at the beginning, where the part where, like, I mean, everything so far has been great and weird and wonderful, but at this part, my brain kicked over into, like, a higher gear. So we're in the courtroom of the palace, and the king announces he's troubled by a demon that has been attacking the town. Uh, is there any way they can defeat it? I think they're talking about the, you know, the Cyclops from earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, there there are notes of sort of Beowulfish stuff here. Like, you know, the King's Hall is under yeah. relentless assault. Can no one kill the monster? And then enter a powerful warrior from far away. So one of the advisors in the court says, His Majesty, a woman exorcist named Ji-Er in the Wuxian Kingdom is overpowerful. Uh, which, <laughs> that sounds like a problem, but I think they're just saying she's very strong. And the king says, all right, you know, let's get her to come in and deal with the demon. But she's already here. (laughs) Just crazy witchy laughter fills the hall. And the sorceress appears in the middle of the throne room. And then instead of walking up to approach the throne, she repeatedly teleports. Yep, yep. She makes quite an entrance. (laughs) Yes. She assures the king that she has the power to defeat the demon. And here's the part I was talking about where one advisor is like, I'm concerned about the safety of civilians. Maybe we don't want to trust a sorceress. And then she just like twists his head off, like (laughs) twists his head around on his neck and kills him. I guess to prove her trustworthiness? I don't know. Uh, But she curses him to death. And then there's a guard who's like, hey, you're not supposed to kill the imperial ministers. And he draws his sword but then she uses her magic to make the sword fly from his hand through the air and then back through his chest. But I guess she turned it into a spectral sword or something because he appears unharmed. He's just very shocked. So she's ultimately just proving what she could do uh, mm-hmm. if she needed to do it. I, don't, I guess she didn't actually kill anybody here. Well, no, I think she did kill the first guy. I think she oh, okay. just didn't kill the second guy for some reason. <laughs> the, the neck twisting guy? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong. No, I... I the, the impression I got was she actually twisted his head off, but she did not actually skewer the guy with his own sword. <laughs> At any rate, she makes a strong statement. I've got the goods. I can handle this demon. Oh, but by the way, I also need to bring in another person on this one. That's right. So she says she's going to capture the demon, but she has a friend called Xia Ker who has magical powers and he's going to help her. And the king's like, oh, great. Another sorcerer will send for him. But once again, he's already <laughs> here. So we get the shocker reveal, and wow, it's like a wrestling entrance. He has his own <laughs> funky theme music. The lights start flashing, and he appears in both live-action bodily form, but also in animated form. And in animated form, he's like blue, and he looks like a Marvel Comics dark wizard with glowing eyes. It's like they're they're flashing to still images from a glorious van mural of a wizard. Yes, <laughs> and yes. I, I every both times that I watched this and i'm watching this film a couple of times i was it was just like what like who should i know that that image like what's going on uh it's such a strange to me choice but it it absolutely makes an impression yeah i know what you mean it's almost like it was intercutting with like a a famous painting that we should recognize like it's with like you know the bosch painting of of terror and madness or something yeah i don't know but i i love it and again he makes quite an entrance and he's got this wonderful magic staff with that, like a, what a, a demon head on top of it. Mm-hmm. So you instantly can tell this guy knows his exorcisms. She knows her exorcisms. This, this is the occult power couple we need to invest in as a kingdom. 
you do not need to mess with these two. And the, the king says, so you are powerful exorcists. Hope that you make it. <laughs> um, so on to business. They go out to beat the monster, but also in doing so, they do a sick costume change. They look so cool. Yeah, the sorceress especially, like suddenly she's wearing this terrific Egyptian-themed outfit with this like Egyptian, like ancient Egyptian uh, uh, hairstyle. Absolutely wonderful. And then how do they kill the demon? It's over very quick. Yeah, like they basically show up. There's the demon rampaging in the streets. And uh, the sorcerer uses this kind of napalm demon staff strike. He like th- does a few flourishes, throws his demon staff, and it just explodes in a big fireball when it hits the demon. Boom. Done. One and done. Mm-hmm. It's over. And then they're right back in the courtroom. Yep, and she has another costume change. She's wearing all red, though she's going to be back in the Egyptian outfit again like the following scene. But she's a sorceress. She can do what she wants. So for killing the Cyclops demon, the king rewards them with official posts. I think he makes uh, the – well, actually, I don't know if this is fair. I don't notice that he rewards the sorceress, only the male sorcerer. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he rewards uh, Shakur by making him a general, and uh, the king's advisor has concerns. He's like, I don't know if we should make these sorcerers (laughs) generals. That that would be kind of uh, giving them a, a lot of trust. But the king just dismisses these worries. It'll be fine. They seem great. And then Literally in the next shot, they're both cackling about what a great idea it was to send the one-eyed demon to terrify the people so that then they could gain access to the palace by defeating it. Yeah, the, the advisor is the only sensible person in the entire film. Um, that, that basically the king never listens to him, except a little bit maybe at the beginning concerning the child. But for the but when it comes to the, the sorcerer and the sorceress, he's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I trust them completely. Didn't you see how powerful they are? And now we know they're up to no good. Right, right. I, I want to be fair to the advisor. I think later on he does get his advice followed somewhat. Like oh, true, true. After Remember after he finds out about who the princess is and he yes. he tells the king, he's like, hey, I think that's your daughter actually. He's consistent. He has sound counsel throughout the entire picture. Sometimes they listen to him, sometimes they don't. That's right. But, oh man, there is such eye-popping demon activity in the next scene. So they go down in what I was thinking of the whole movie as the basement. The sorcerers (laughs) go to the basement where they've got a big statue of a demon with two faces, one face on the head and then one face in like the belly or the crotch. And like, they talk about this because at one point uh, the sorcerer says to their demon, he's like, you've got too many faces or something. Yeah. And then there are these big like paper mache giant human heads that may represent the sorcerer and the sorceress that are like clutched in hands. There's all this glory red gel lighting it is this wonderful demon layer and one thing i particularly loved is that the design of this demonic altar it um it has a style like the artistic style here is not it's not something you would necessarily i think see in like traditional uh chinese iconography but it reminded mm-hmm. me very strongly of of decorations that i saw in nanning china at a haunted house, like a uh, like a, a tourist attraction, you know, uh, at one of the parks there. It was the same sort of style of outrageous-looking demon heads. So I don't know if, it, if this kind of uh, this style of decoration has a name, but you might think of it, I guess, as like sort of like Chinese Halloween stylings. Mm. Um, uh, but it, it has it's it's wonderful. Yeah, this whole this whole demon layer, and we learn the demon's name. They serve Adu. They they say we are your loyal lackeys for long. <laughs> Yes, lackeys forever. 
But okay, what are they going to do down here? Well, they do some rituals and they pledge their loyalty to the demon Adu. And then they're like, hey, let's create a nine-headed siren. We need another monster. That's right. I mean, they've gotten so far with one uh, monster con, they've got to take it to the next level. Introduce another monster that, of course, they will have to fight and then reap the benefits of having slain. But it doesn't exactly go that way, does it? But uh, we'll get there in a second. So first of all, there is a scene where Yaoji's dads try to make her happy again because, you know, (laughs) she's back in the forest. She's lovesick. She's fallen in love with the prince, but he's gone off on his own path. And and now all she can do is sit around and pine for him. So she's so sad. And they, you know, these are these are kind dads. These these are they're good dads and they want to help her out. So they're like, I know, let's try to make her laugh by doing animal impressions. <laughs> um, so they they spend a long time seeing who can like be the funniest like uh, rooster or ape. Yeah, the scene. This scene maybe goes on a little too long. Not that, that I got <laughs> sick of it, but you can tell the music transition to the sweet stuff while the the comedic shenanigans were still going on. Yeah, <laughs> but then they cut over, and yeah, she's feeling sad, and they realize it's not working. We've got to help her in another way. Right. I think they're starting to get the picture. It's like, look, the only solution here is we got to get her together with her prince. That's the only way she's right. going to be happy. But they know where the prince is. He's at the capital, so they'll be able to follow up on that. Okay, so what are the, what are they going to do to kill the nine-headed siren? The king's like, what is but there's more monsters. Why why are we getting more monsters? Um, and this time they suggest, I know, let, let's not waste our best sorcerers on the monster this time. Let's send uh, the heroic young swordsman, the Prince Yorjun, who is here from a foreign land to celebrate the king's birthday. He can kill the demon for us. And there, there's initially some concern. I think they're like, oh, but he's like, a, he's actually royal. Like, we don't want to risk his life. But Yorjun comes out and says, no, no, I am skilled in self-defense. And you can tell the sorcerer and the sorceress do not like this idea. This is, uh, this is a kink in their plans. Uh, they are supposed to be the go-tos for dealing with demons. Right. So the, the young prince goes out with uh, several other soldiers to fight the monster. And then there's this cool scene where the, the evil sorcerer, Shakur, is sort of puppet controlling the nine-headed siren from the demon basement while the prince is fighting him. Yeah, the, the the sorcery in this film is all fabulous because there's a lot of um, a lot of hand movements and mudras and so forth uh, with wonderful kind of martial arts sound effects to each movement, and then also the creation of magical circles in the in the air in front of the sorcerer or sorceress that they'll stick their hands through to do the the various incantations. So the mm-hmm. magic is just richly visually uh, fun to watch. And of course, the prince wins the sword fight against the monster. And it's interesting that the violence against the monster actually translates back to the puppet master, actually Mm -hmm. to Shakur. Like at the end of the fight, he's in his demon basement spitting up blood. It's intense. So once again, things are not going according to plan. This this monster was was theirs to slay. And they couldn't even use this monster then to slay this meddlesome hero. So then we cut back to the forest for a bit, and here we get the bunny fairy scene. Do you want to describe this? Uh, well, you know, she's she's doing what a princess may may do oftentimes, just sitting there. A bunny comes up to her. She's feeling sad, so she picks up the bunny, and then she 
puts the bunny back down instead of, I guess, what, killing the bunny? I don't know. Eating it? Because <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> the, the thing is, the bunny then transforms into the fairy of the forest, into this tiny little uh, bubbly woman who then is like, yay, you saved me. This is great. Uh, let me make it up to you. Or maybe not save, you didn't save me, but you like spared me. I'm not, I'm not really sure what the transa- the details of the transaction are here, but basically she says, I am a fairy and now I am fully introduced in this film and I'm here to help you. That's right. So the, I think the fairy is saying, I'm so glad you didn't kill and eat me as a bunny. <laughs> um, so uh, so anyway, she she says, hey, I'll grant you a wish. And what does the princess wish for? She tells her she can wish for a gem or a pearl. Uh, but the princess says, no, all I want is is to be with my prince. And so together, her her dad's in the, the forest and the little fairy, uh, they conspire to help Yaoji win the heart of the prince. Uh, but let's see, the fairy magically gives her a gown that would let, you know, it's like Cinderella, like she can mm-hmm. wear this to the palace. And then uh, uh, the, the seven dwarfs come up with a plan to sneak her into the palace because one of them knows the guards at the palace and they can mm-hmm. sneak her in pretending to be a maid so she can meet the prince again. Now, you might wonder, why did the dwarves have all these connections? It, it They kind of begin to trickle the information here uh, and about the dwarves, but we eventually learned that they are dwarves because they were cursed. They were seven generals. So they, even though they're in hiding and they're using a magical altar to keep evildoers from finding out where they are, they still have connections to uh, you know military individuals at the palace and so forth. So I guess he was once like the farty general. I guess. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month. Taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. All right, so the princess infiltrates the palace, uh, pretending to be a maid. She meets the prince again, and things are going sort of well in that regard. But then the sorceress G-Er is jealous. She -hmm. goes to the demon statue in the basement, and she's like, I thought you said I am the most charming girl. And the demon (laughs) statue is like, oh, well, uh, well, well. (laughs) Sorry, you were not the most. (laughs) I guess this is supposed to be a kind of a mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, this this leads to a sort of cascade of political machinations in the palace, but they all end up with the prince being transformed into a bear. Yes, transformed into a bear and and teleported into the forest uh-huh. <laughs> by the sorcerer. And oh my goodness, this bear transformation! I I absolutely love it. I I think I'm becoming a a, a big fan of bad bear costumes in films. Um, I recently watched the 1983 film Adam and Eve versus the Cannibals that I, I briefly mentioned uh, in our Fruit of Paradise episode. Uh, that has a tremendously bad bear costume in it. Uh, I watched that just the other week. This film's bear is much better than than the one in Adam and Eve versus the Cannibals. It still kind of reminds me of the mutated bear in the Prophecy, but also is very much this. Um, kind of, I don't know, sloth bear, sun bear. He's not very mm-hmm. threatening. He's kind of cuddly. Um, it's a it's a fun bear costume, but also it's clearly a bear costume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And of course, strong connections here to Alexander Rose's 1964 Russian fantasy film, Jack Frost, because in that, we also have a prince who is turned into a bear. Where his voice sounds like Zoidberg. <laughs> right. But in this one, like the bear is almost immediately marching up to uh, the the, the farm uh, house there of the the seven dwarves. And everybody's like, oh, I don't know what that's all about. Look, there's a bear coming this way. We should be afraid. But the fairy, she can tell. Uh, She can tell in this kind of hilarious sequence where she sees that the bear is not like a dancing bear. It's actually the dancing prince. And she's like, no, no, it's the prince. We've got to help him. Yeah, that's what. So she... 
So yeah, they reveal the backstory that the seven dwarfs are originally generals. And then she and the fairy and the generals are like, we know what to do. We have to boil the bear in a magic potion in a cauldron with the lid on for seven days. Yes, he has to suffer in there for like seven days. And he can't come out. You can't take the lid off of it. But at the end, he will be cured. Now, meanwhile, there's another scene with the uh, the sorcerer and the sorceress, and they're they're like you know again they're plotting and they're realizing we got to do something about these um, these generals or the the prince and the princess and so forth. And there's some talk of like oh we need to find where they are, and yeah. they're they're like no no they have an exorcist altar so we can't pinpoint their position. We should send someone to destroy the altar. And pretty much the next scene is the princess accidentally knocking over the altar and mm-hmm. thus incapacitating it. It was like, it's a weird setup there. Like I thought they were going to send some sort of lackey uh, to, you know, to some sort of a spy or a magical animal, but no, it just, this problem solved itself. No additional lackey required. Right. And as soon as it happens, they appear and they abduct the princess. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then they, they, they magically blow the, the top off of the cauldron, too. So now, oh, it's revealed that the prince is going to be paralyzed because he didn't complete his bear bath. Oh, but wait, he's not for some reason, right? Don't they do something to help him? Because the prince, I mean, not the princess, the fairy then says, oh, don't worry about it. I have a solution. And she has some uh, sort of a potion that she gives him and he's fine. Great. See, she's just, she solves problems. That's what a good fairy does. Yeah, she she's on top mm-hmm. of it. But 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 uh so they so the sorcerers have kidnapped the princess because I think they're going to use her in their plan for usurpation of the throne because what mm-hmm. do they want ultimately? They want power, right? They want to be in right. charge. So they take her to the demon basement and they do a ritual and this scene will make you lose your mind. Yes, there's dancing fire, the synth just gets really intense, flashing eyes, flying heads as they ask uh, their demon lord to, quote, deaden her soul. The goal of this is to hypnotize her to say that she will marry Shakur, the sorcerer Mm -hmm. guy. Um, so they, they take her up to meet her father again. And by this point, the king has been convinced by his advisor that, ah, yes, this princess was the, the baby we put in the basket and sent down the river. This is your daughter. So the king's like, oh, wow, it's wonderful to see you again, daughter. I'm, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, but the first thing she's like, look, I got to marry the evil sorcerer. And the king's like, well, okay, if that's what you want. <laughs> but again, it's only because she's hypnotized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here kind of begins a journey of adventures uh, section of the movie because the prince, now he's back at the, in the forest, he becomes aware of this via bunny fairy reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I've got to stop this from happening. So I've got to make a journey to recruit several kinds of magical help in order to save the princess. But the bubbly fairy realizes he's not ready for this right now. He needs, he needs, you know, he needs, like any hero in a story, he needs special weapons, he needs special armor, and I've got to send him on a side quest to get those things. Okay, so I, I've, I think I forget some of the quests he goes on. What are these quests that happen in rapid succession? Well, he has to, he has to swim, right? Some sort of subterranean yeah. cave in order to get the armor and the sword from a skeleton. He doesn't fight the skeleton or fight any kind of guardian. It's just, I guess, difficult to get there. And then the, the skeleton talks to him. is like, hey, here you go. Take this. It's great armor, great sword. I'm so glad somebody can use this. 
Oh, yeah, I think what he, it's the Thunder Sword and the Magic Armor, and I think what the skeleton says is, every trinkle in my collection has magic power. I think that might be a typo. Yes, but uh, the idea is that, like, every detail of it, every cuff link, every uh, every jewel uh, in the armor has some sort of a magical power. Sometimes you don't know about it till later. Like, <laughs> later on, you'll hear more narration from the skeleton that will inform our hero of how he can better utilize this fabulous armor. That's right. And then he travels more. He travels like into this strange desert with these spires of rock that the fairy perches on. And they talk. And at one point he goes into a cave and ends up battling what I thought were bat demons. But then also some of them look like frogmen. Like they, they literally have uh, divers flippers on their hands and feet. Yes. <laughs> um, so they were doing what they could with the costuming here. But I still think it lo- it's it's pretty good. Um and I was like, what are these supposed to be? But according to the captions, they were, they're not bats. They were a, a bird and frogs. Yeah, three frog sirens. Uh, this is the second time that, that siren is used in the subtitles to denote some sort of a monster. So I feel like there's probably some sort of interesting connection about like how monster becomes the word siren or what word in Mandarin eventually becomes siren in this context. But yeah, some sort of bird monster, some sort of frog monsters. The bird monster looks better than the frog monsters. I feel like they were they were running out of um, out of funds or time or both to create these frog creatures. But I don't know. The lighting is weird. the The physical performance of the frog sirens is is humorous, so it, it works. You were entertained by it. One of their heads gets cut off, and it like it's like going ah my head and trying to grab it. It's wonderful. Uh huh. Oh, and then while all this is going on, the the people back home are in peril because the sorcerers imprison the king and the princess and their allies in a magic circle. And they're like, uh, you must renounce your throne and turn it over to me. And they're, he's slowly like burning his uh, advisors alive until he relents. Yeah, it's the situation has has gotten rather intense at the capital. Uh, and then meanwhile, they've also sent out warriors to battle uh, the prince for immortals. Okay, so may- maybe you caught more of the context here. This is the battle where um, where the prince and then some of his allies end up fighting these these like statues or these automata. Yeah, and this might be something that's kind of connected or inspired by the the 18 Bronze Men film that I mentioned earlier from 76, because when they first encounter them, they're, they're clearly actors standing still, you know, brandishing their weapons. But, yeah, they're kind of know, moving they, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they, they touch them, they hit them with their weapons, and they just their weapons just seem useless against them. And then they start battling. And this is a this is a fun uh, fun group of villains here for uh, for our hero. Oh, he also has like a few lackeys uh, with him at this point, warriors from yeah. the capital who came to get him and be like, "Hey, you should come." There's a whole situation going on. Yeah, that's right. So among these warriors, there's a big ogre with a club. There's a guy with a mace that has a rotating drill bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a a teleporting fighter with a spear and a shield. And then I think I lost track of who the fourth guy was. But for this this fight, the prince gets his thunder sword charged up, and he's trying to fight him, and he's a very skilled warrior, but he just, like, he can't beat him. Until the little fairy of the forest uses her magic vision to see their weak points, and, he's, and she's like, oh, I see, you have to hit this one in the armpit, you have to hit this one in the mouth, and then the last one is one who has to be hit in the anus, even though the subtitles say his, quote, hip. 
but that is not what is shown. <laughs> nope, nope. He clearly, he has to stab this one up the butt with the, um, the heavenly sword. And the, the scene in which this happens is, is absolutely amazing uh, because he does this fabulous uh, martial arts Hong Kong wire backflip thing, then slides underneath the monster and then upward thrust with the sword and then picks him up off the ground with the sword. And then the, uh, the warrior explodes in a burst of brilliant fire. It's great. And so after this, there's another part where he has to go into a temple and fight another magical guardian of some kind. It's like hard to describe what it is. It's like a flay. It's flayed body parts that don't have the whole body with them and they're flying around attacking him. So like, uh, like bloody skinless legs and like arms and, uh, teeth. Yeah. The, the, the limbs, they look they look like, you know, gore, like fake gore, but they mm. also kind of look like fur. So I kept thinking of them as the limbs of the meat muppet. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're moving around. They're flying around. They're also being sneaky around him. And mm. this whole sequence where he's battling this guardian that is all these pieces that then eventually comes together um, – it made me think of like the works of Clark Ashton Smith and Robert E. Howard, where you know one of the things is when you mess with ancient sorcery and ancient magic, you just have no idea what sort of madness you're messing with. And this sequence just felt just authentically just so weird. Uh, like this is some weird magic that our hero is encountering here. And oh, we should say why he's here. Uh, I believe the fairy has said, oh yeah, if you want to defeat the the evil sorcerer and sorceress, you're going to need some help. You need to get this magic box. They they imprisoned somebody. They, they betrayed some magical being. The magical being is in the box. Go here, get the box, bring that with you to the capital when you go to defeat them. Okay, so he does. He he defeats this monster. He gets the box. He opens it up. And then a guy comes out who is kind of scary in his own right. And he's got uh, these two big, like, bald camel humps in the middle of his head. Yeah, yeah. Strong Ferengi vibes to the head, though, <laughs> to be clear, the Ferengis wouldn't be introduced till like 87, I think. So uh, no way that was a connection. It reminded me a bit of various illustrations of the divine farmer Shin Nong, who has, you know, kind of like a an ox-like uh, appearance to his uh, otherwise humanoid body. So he has like some often like little horns poking through the top of his skull. So I kind of got a vibe uh, of, of that character from this being, but also clearly this is some sort of a gin, uh, cause it's, you know, very much some sort of a genie in, trapped inside of a container. And now the, the being has been freed and is going to do a solid for the individual who freed him. Right. So they together go back to the palace magically. There's like a, almost a chase scene where the, mm -hmm. the, the genie like grabs the guy, pulls him into the box and then flies to the palace with the fairy struggling to keep up. Oh yeah. And then she's uh, like, wait, wait, I can't keep up. And so the, the, the gin hand comes out of the box as it's flying through the air on uh -huh. obvious wires, grabs her and then pulls her into the box as well. Again, yeah. just so the, 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 the effects in this were just audacious. Like they, they're very ambitious in what they want to do accomplish here now of course there is a big final battle involving the prince doing his his sword fighting and then also involving this this wizard genie being who's been freed from the box uh fighting his fighting the the wizards who betrayed him and it's uh i, I don't want to describe it in too much detail it's just a absolutely wonderful showdown it does involve the uh 
the the guy freed from the box pointing at things with his middle finger. Yeah, he starts using all sorts of crazy gin magic. Our sorcerer and sorceress who are now cornered, they have at least one major costume change that occurs and they're doing a kind of tandem fighting. We get an awesome wizard sword that's busted out uh, by the sorcerer. And the sorceress also has like a, a, a fancy black magic dagger that she uses. Just an epic battle uh, proceeds uh, to play out here in the uh, uh, the Hall of the King. I, I think I can say no more about Thrilling Bloody Sword except that it was absolutely wonderful. One of my favorites we've done. Yeah, it it should you absolutely have to see it. It's just a complete visual spectacle, and also the the music is great as well. Uh, so see it, listen to it, learn from it, be changed by it, uh, be melted and remade in its likeness. Uh, become an eternal lackey of the demon Adu. Yes. Oh man, there, there's so many great moments. Like there's some wonderful bickering moments between the sorcerer and the sorceress and Adu. Yeah. Like the sorceress has the bit, of course, where she's like, "I thought you said I was the most charming." And then there's this whole bit where Adu's like, "Hey, sorcerer, I thought I told you to kill the prince and the princess." And he's like, "I have my own plan. I'm going to do what I want here." And then yeah. they get into a big argument, and it kind of comes to blows um, with the uh, with various like demon icons sent out against the sorcerer, and he's having to battle them off with his staff until finally mm-hmm. the the demon is the one it's like whoa whoa we shouldn't be bickering you you need to get out there and fight that prince right we're on the same side here (laughs) (laughs) thrilling bloody sword all right so yeah strong recommendation on this one uh yeah find a way to see it and see it all right we're gonna go ahead and close the book on this one but we'd love to hear from anyone out there who has thoughts on thrilling bloody sword if you've seen it recently or ooh, i'd love to hear from anyone who saw it back in the 1980s uh, definitely write in about that if, uh, if, if you have details. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you want to listen to other episodes of Weird House Cinema, it happens every Friday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. Uh, we're primarily a science podcast, but on Fridays we set aside most serious concerns and we just focus on a strange film. Uh, I will blog about these movies over at samutamusic.com. And if you are a letterboxed user, that's L E T T E R B O X D.com, uh, you'll find there. Our username is Weird House. We have a fabulous list of all the movies we've covered thus far, and we'll also generally sprinkle in the next one or two movies we're going to cover, so you can sort of get get a drop on what we're going to discuss in case you want to watch something ahead of publication. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 